Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Hello, so we are back with our bonus world and European football podcast. We haven't got a name for it, but um, maybe our guest this week will give us a name. Um, it's myself, Patrick, or Philip, I'm not Patrick, and Patrick and Brenton are joined by the brilliant Dan Edwards from Goal.com who covers all things Argentinian football. Hello, Dan. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for the invitation. Good to be here. And I would have a very good, appropriate, I think, name this week if it weren't already taken by uh, my weekly podcast, where Hand of Pod, which yeah. has been our name for the last 10 years. Uh, but this week, it seems especially appropriate. Uh, I listened to this week's podcast as well, Dan. I've listened to the last uh, the last couple of months, um, and I really enjoyed it. Um I was glad, though, I was listening to it on my own because it was a little bit emotional, obviously, with what's happened the last week. Um, I suppose we can start there. I know you've talked about it a lot and you've written about it a lot, so I don't want to keep you back. But um, you're in Buenos Aires, so what's what's it been like and what's it like now in there after the passing of Diego Maradona? No, it's been almost indescribable, just the grief that's come out. I mean, you can see... If you didn't already know it, that Maradona was an idol and an icon for the Argentine people and his loss has really hit deep. I mean, I've been here for 11 years and the only kind of public event uh, which could even come close to, to this is back in, was back in 2010 when um, uh, our ex-president Nestor Kirchner, who, is, who was the husband of uh, current vice president, ex-president herself, Cristina, uh, when he passed away very suddenly, um, at a similar age, I think, to Maradona as well, um, early 60s. And and that was hugely poignant for everyone involved because he was a guy, you know, very well loved, very respected by the people, especially kind of the lower and middle classes in Argentina, who are obviously the, the vast majority of people, um, kind of this uh, Peronist majority that's always existed in Argentina. And, and Maradona has come to represent um very much the same the same kind of people guys who who aren't ever going to be among the richest but um they're the working class people they're they're football people they're the guys who you know go out to marches go out and and make their voice heard in the streets and and i think for that reason as well it's um it's resonated so much um we just had so much um so much publicly happening with his funeral, with other memorials at Argentinos Stadium, Boca Stadium in the middle of town, and also these more these more personal tributes. People have have um, let slip in in interviews and on social media, like the anecdotes that so many people have to to share with Maradona. If even if they only met him once or they exchanged a couple of words, you can see this was a guy who touched so many people directly and and millions millions more indirectly i i think i might know your answer to this but 
in your opinion, is is there anybody close to him as the greatest footballer of all time? Or we sort of talked about last week on a different on one of our podcasts where it's hard to quantify it, but then when he passes, you just see the the massive outpouring from everywhere. Like, and you, you watch all the old clips and you see all. Like, I've watched the Maradona film again by Asif Kapanda, the brilliant film. Like, in your opinion, and you might be biased because you're in Argentina. Is anyone close? I think it's a tough. A tough question, probably one uh, we'd, be a bit, we'd be best served to, to split into two. I mean, on one side you have, you know, the best, the most talented player um, ever to play in the sport. And Maradona, you can see he's going to be up there for what he did as um, an Argentina player, as a Napoli player, as a youngster in Argentina, Boca, where he was so sensational. And then in the same... Um, in the same category, I think you can in- include guys like Pelé, of course, um, Messi now, Di Stefano, um, uh, Johan Cruyff, these guys who who were so good and have changed the sport forever and left their mark. I mean, if we're talking about ability, it's very hard to, to separate them. But then if we're going to take this, this definition of the greatest, what is the greatest? Uh, the greatest for me is someone who uh, is just synonymous with football. Uh, wherever you go, and and I think if you take that definition, then then no one else really gets close to Maradona because it's been said so many times in the last few days. You know, an Argentine can go to the United States, to India, China, Bangladesh, Australia, any country in the world, um, and they say Maradona's name, and and suddenly there's a recognition. Ah, Argentina, of course, Maradona. Um, he was, you know, Argentina for. For a great, um, a great deal of the world, and maybe Messi will be there one day. Maybe he won't, but right now, um, I don't think any other player on the earth could have could have provoked this kind of this kind of mourning, this kind of recognition that Maradona did. And and I think for that, more than for any kind of quantifiable comparison we can make over over ability, who was the best? I mean, that is. What for me pushes him over the edge is that's what we can call the greatest. I think Patrick, you have a question about that as well. Yes, Dan. Just when you when you mention um, Messi, I sort of have a, a question linked to that. So I actually heard on another podcast um, this week that in Argentina they refer to obviously Maradona as God and Messi as an alien. So it's nearly like already, you know, there's something more human human-like quality obviously about God and an alien is an alien so my question is you know even if Messi were to win a World Cup could he ever be as loved in in Argentina as Maradona was? It's a difficult question because uh, I think most people wouldn't wouldn't dispute that if again if we're talking about ability and and what they've done on the football pitch Messi even if he doesn't have the World Cup um, he's on the same level or higher than Maradona. But what happens with, with Messi is that there's always this sort of disconnect between him and the Argentine public that we don't see with Maradona because Maradona, you know, uh, at the age of 16, he debuted for, for Argentinos. He spent, you know, he, he might have left Argentina early uh, in his early 20s um, to go to Barcelona, but he's still... Um, Gave Argentine football five or six of his best years, even as a teenager, I think. Um, just before moving to Boca, when he was still at Argentinas, he finished 
top scorer four times in in four consecutive championships or something like that. So this was a guy who you know electrified stadiums up and down Argentina for um, for you know for four, five, six years at Argentinos, another two years or another year with Boca. He came back, obviously um, nowhere near as as good a player as as he was, but still with with Newells and the few games he showed. And with Boca, he, he carried on creating those memories and and with the national team, of course, um, the legend just carried on growing. And and I think aside from that, it's just harder. I don't know if you guys agree, but it's harder for me to identify with, with modern players, perhaps in, in the way you could your heroes, you know, back in uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and a little bit of the 90s, because... Uh, before you know these guys, you might see them around the town. You might see them; uh, they just seem a lot more accessible. And now, you know these players, as you said, they call Messi an extraterrestrial. He's literally on another planet. I mean, <laughs> when do you see Messi if not on the football pitch or or in an interview? He's it's just a closeted lifestyle that you don't get with um, with guys from different ages, like say, yeah. you know, George Best, say. Um, Back in the 60s, I mean, he was there. He, he was one of the world's football superstars, but he was there around Manchester. You could bump into him in the street or in a bar, and and he was he was one of the people. that That's something that doesn't exist these days, and I think it's something that, that will always stand in Messi's way to be this popular folk hero like, like Maradona is. Yeah, just, just before Brenton jumps in, I actually, that's a good point. Uh, they they aren't as accessible now footballers and maybe maybe that's why everyone looks back at the likes of Maradona um, well he was obviously very accessible especially in Naples um, but I once bumped into uh, Maxi Rodriguez <laughs> when I was um, at Union Liverpool I was coming home from lecture in second year or third year I think and he was just he'd just gone into the school to collect his kids or to leave some kids well, I can't remember what it was and I just happened to meet him uh, just briefly and say hello to him but I always remember like thinking hang on he's playing for Liverpool here tomorrow night say it might have been the Champions League and, and he's leaving his kids off and just being feeling so weird that you saw him in a normal situation yeah. do you know what I mean so it, it is strange now that we maybe that is the reason why so many people adore uh, looking back and talking about the old players and, and the other generations because they just seemed more like one of us rather than well Messi obviously he isn't he's Completely different, but Brent, I believe you have another question for Dan there. Yeah, Dan, mine's, mine's sort of a a two parter, if you don't mind. Um, the the first part um, is kind of just ha- have you ever met Maradona or or been close to him or um, what, what the the feeling around that is, and um, also then how how much of an influence was he in, in your decision to to go to Buenos Aires and um, and work. I didn't have the pleasure, I must be honest. Um, I mean, I arrived in Argentina in September 2009, so just over um, 11 years ago. And um, to be honest, I didn't come here with any particular plan to stay long term or to work. It was, you know, an internship that came out of, um, that I picked up coming out of university. And I thought, yeah, why not give it a go? And and I happened to land smack bang in, in the middle of Maradona's reign as, as Argentina coach. So as you can imagine, you know, just getting started, 
in a new country, uh, picking up work here and there, writing about football. I mean, what better subject matter could you hope for? Because this was a time where everyone was just spellbound with what Maradona was doing uh, with the national team. I think I've been in Argentina for about, would have been a month or so when when that infamous game against Peru came along, when, when Martin Palermo scored in the last minute in just hammering rain in the Monumental and Maradona basically slided across the entire pitch That's right. uh, in his joy and, <laughs> and then uh, covering um, the World Cup afterwards in South Africa and, and kind of following this just insane experiment that was going along um, kind of powered entirely by Maradona because you could tell he had no idea about tactic strategy. His idea was, you know, stick the players on the fields and and just keep them going by sheer force of will, sheer personality. And and it worked for a while. I mean, I think up till the game against Germany where they got found out extremely painfully. I mean, Argentina <laughs> were probably the most entertaining team to watch in South Africa. Um, and from there you think, ah, I mean, this is just brilliant. I mean, I'd obviously heard of Maradona before and I was a little too young to to see him in his prime, but I think my first memory of him came in, in the 1994 World Cup. I was about seven, seven, eight years old, uh, staying up past my bedtime to watch this this tournament, which England wasn't even involved in. And, and you know, all of a sudden you, you catch a match or you catch the highlights. I mean, Argentina, Greece, which means nothing to you at that age, and you just get this insane number 10s with his eyes bulging out of their sockets, screaming at the camera. And <laughs> I think, and it's just with Maradona, I mean, I've written about him so much over the years, looked into his stories, his anecdotes, kind of trying to work out what makes the man tick. And, and it's just incredible everything that's happened. Um, I've said before, you know, he's a guy, he lived till 60, but, but if he, he crammed into that time, 10 normal lives and, that's that's pretty special yeah it, his story is wild like it's and that, a lot of people have been saying that as well this week like how did he get to 60 with everything that went on and the fact that he did is something that should be celebrated too as well and and I, I went when everyone sort of comes to terms with it a bit more hopefully that that will happen more where they, they will start to celebrate things a bit more and different things but um I want to ask you as well, Dan, just to, to, not to just to skip on and move it on, different things, but the Argentinian League, I, I, I love South American football. Uh, I love how mad it is, okay? The Copa Libertadores needs to be picked up by a TV channel or stations or more of them over here in the UK and Ireland so we can see it more because it's, it's such a brilliant competition. But can you, uh, and you're an expert here, can you explain to me <laughs> how the Argentinian league works, like, and, and how it's working this year, because there's groups and pools in it. Because there seems to be like two or three different things going on at one time, and or maybe I'm reading it well. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a, a, an idiot and I'm reading it wrong. But I I get really confused trying to work out who, who's playing who and what competition and when it's happening. Can you can you give us an insight into that and how it works? Because you're 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 the journalist. No, I mean you're absolutely justified in your confusion. This. Um... <laughs> This tournament, in inverted commas, that uh, has, has come along is a complete Frankenstein's monster of of a setup. Just 
pretty much um, invented to make sure the teams that weren't involved in the Libertadores or Copa Sudamericana would have something to do for the end of the year. Um, obviously, the idea was to do a full league until coronavirus got in the way, and you know, and here in Argentina and a lot in and in a lot of South America, it, it's lingered on pretty much without pause until um, since March. So what? The AFA and, and those in charge decided to do was organize something that's not actually a league tournament. It's going to count in the annals as, as a cup tournament. Um, there are six different groups of four teams uh, because as we finished the 2019-2020 league, there were 24 teams left in, in the top flight and no teams were relegated as a result of the, the pandemic. Um, each in each group, the four teams will play each other twice. The top two teams from each group will go through to a second group phase. Um, so that would make two groups of six teams each. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, the bottom two teams from each group will go into something called a facet complementaria, which. I believe is something along the lines of United Sevens rugby. They have plate and bowl tournaments. Oh yes, yes. It's going to be something like that um, with a similar similar format to the to the real the real phase. And ultimately, the top team the top teams from each second round group will play each other in a final, and the winner of that final will be the winner. And I think they get Libertadores spot next year. Um, that's essentially it. Um, it's a bit of a waste of time, especially for um, for the clubs who are otherwise occupied. I mean, just to take one example, my team Racing, uh, they're playing the Libertadores at the moment. Uh, they're already assured of qualification for the Libertadores next year, so they really don't have anything to play for. And in fact, they lost all four of their first four games in, in this tournament without really... Um, trying very hard um so that kind of gives you an inkling of um of what this means our Boca as well lost twice at home uh, to Newell's not to Landos and Tacheres uh River have been muddling through getting some decent results but not really um not really putting out full teams or anything so yeah something to which is mildly diverting kind of keeps us going until January when a real league tournament is um, is meant to start I think the the real injustice the real kind of calamity that's been inflicted on Argentine football if you don't mind me spending a little bit of time talking about it is in the in the second division um, because the second division unlike the Primera hadn't finished when uh, coronavirus hit. I think they were about 12 games from the end. Um, there were two different groups, each of which was going to contribute um, a team which was going to get promoted. Uh, and that league was abandoned in, in March because of everything we've been through. Uh, they've come back now with exactly the same teams, but all of those games, I think they were about 25, 30 played uh, before the pandemic. They've been completely scrubbed off. Um, all of the teams, and there is, I think, 32 in the in the second division. Uh, all of the teams um, are starting from from scratch. 
they have to play all of you know they're in four groups again because you know why not split them into into more groups than before that's always a good good option and that's created a lot of um a lot of anger because for example the team that plays in my neighborhood uh, Villa Crespo uh, here in Buenos Aires Atlanta they were top of the table when when this all st- when this all came to a halt and they were looking good to at least you know fight for promotion but they've lost all of that you know six seven months of hard work playing every week they came back on the weekend for their first game lost and and now this you know it's going to be it's going to be an uphill struggle as well. And the same for San Martín de Tucumán, who are something like seven or eight points clear in their group. And now they're bottom of their group because they got beat at the weekend. And it's, again, going to be an uphill struggle. I mean, it just feels wholly unjust and and a ridiculous way to do things, let's say, but not exactly unsurprising either. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure that's very, very frustrating if you're a, a fan of that, that club and I know it's been replicated across other parts of, of the world, you know, these divisions that have been, you know, prematurely stopped or, you know, if your team's having one of these wonderful seasons, it's just such a such a shame. Um but Dan, I was I was gonna ask, um, obviously the sort of widely um accepted as one of the sort of biggest games in world football, the the super classical. But I was gonna ask you know, it's obviously very high profile. If you take those two those two big teams apart, Boca and River, are, are there any other sort of great derbies or or great matches that you particularly um like going to or like watching? And you mentioned you're a Racing fan. Um, you know, are there any any good dar- other derbies that you you can tell us about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Racing's uh, derby with Independiente in the in the southern Buenos Aires suburb of of Avicenneda is probably the second biggest in in terms of media coverage and exposure because these are two teams who have won the Libertadores, who have been world champions, who have um, won many, many titles over the years. They're two of of uh, Argentina's five traditional grandes, the the big clubs. So, and they also have the the peculiarity of playing uh, within three blocks of each other. I'm sure. You must have seen aerial shots of Avicenera when you've got Racing's uh, cylindrical stadium, right? Um, Sky Blue Stadium, right next to Independiente's uh, Red Stadium. Yeah. Um, which makes things very interesting. I've been to home and away derbies back when away fans were allowed, and and getting out of the away end in Independiente Stadium was pretty hairy at times. Um, <laughs> I don't mind a mix. Uh, so that's definitely one of the biggest derbies around. Um, uh, we saw it the last running, in fact, was in February, one of the most unforgettable games I've ever seen where Racing played more than more than an entire half with nine men um, after getting two players sent off and then came back and, and scored the winning goal for 1-0 like in the 93rd minute or something. And oh. It was just... Epic, incredible, incredible stuff, and and it's something we'll we'll hold over Independiente fans for for a while yet. Yeah. Um, aside from that game, uh, of course, the Rosario derby between Newells and Central, I think, definitely merits the title of of most vicious because these are two teams um, who have who control the entire um, city of Rosario. So, you know. 
you think of Boca and River, they're huge clubs, but there are also 20 other clubs in Buenos Aires. So it's not just Boca and River, but in Rosario, your Central or your Newells, there's there's no room for, for, for parties, really. And so that's a, that's a derby which is just so intense um, in the weeks, never won the days leading up to the game and the weeks following it. Um, this is where you get stories like we mentioned Maxi Rodriguez. Um, he's been a Newell's player now for a while and there were, I think, about two or three derbies in a row where his, um, where his grandmother's house was graffitied with, with death threats just to make sure, uh, just to make sure he'd you know, go out and perform. I think once it was Newell's fans themselves and another time it was Central fans, you know, with, with their conflicting messages and just their running battles. I think even in recent times where you've only had, you know, home fans in each derby, you still have something like 3,000 police on, on duty at the stadium. So um, it's just amazing. Yeah, apart from that, um, the La Plata derby, Estudiantes, uh, Gimnasia, the... Huracan San Lorenzo derby, um, just loads and loads of of intense matches uh, up in the north. Uh, San Martín de Tucumán against Atlético Tucumán. Uh, all of these clubs, you know, they they live for the derby, and and that is the game they want to win every year. The you mentioned obviously the away fans uh, can't go uh, because of what's happened with Crouch before. Then we had this. Absolutely wild and unbelievable two or three weeks with a couple of Libertadores final was between Boca and River. And like everyone that was interested in football was just focused on Buenos Aires. So I'm sure you were flat uh, and very busy. But the Libertadores is back now. Uh, and a few, uh, there's still a few Argentinian teams left. And I know your team, Racing's left into it. Uh, and just as well, now you can touch on this, what, what got you into becoming a Racing fan? But what team in Argentina? is probably set up best, if there is one, to win it this year? Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, what I can see this year is that it seems to be one of the best-matched Libertadores in um, in recent memory. There are a lot of very strong teams who, I think, have everything to, to go for. Um, Flamengo, of course, who are playing Racing, um, uh, they got a one-all draw against us last week. They're, um, they're hosting Racing tomorrow in uh, Maracaná, and they are still they're not as good as they were last year. They've had um, they've lost a couple of important players, and they lost their manager Jorge Jesus, who mm. uh, the Portuguese guy who was so important, had such a brilliant spell in Brazil. But they're very strong. They've got fantastic talent. I mean, I was watching last week, and I. I was watching this guy, uh, Bruno Enrique, and just bowled over by, by how good he was. It's like every time he got the ball, you couldn't stop him, and they just spellbinding to watch. Um, so if they get by Racing, and I'm not saying, you know, that's a big if, um, they're definitely going to be in, there, in the conversation to defend their title. Uh, Boca, as you say, um, they're yet to play. They're the only team yet to play their, their last 16 match because uh, because that was scheduled on the day Maradona died at home to Internacional of, of Porto Alegre in Brazil. Uh, so that got uh, suspended a week because people were using the Bombonera as a shrine to, to pay their respects to Maradona. Mm-hmm. Uh, River have looked good. Uh, River always strong in, 
in cup competitions under Marcelo Gallardo. They came so close to winning it uh, last year against Flamengo. Um, they've lost a few important players as well, but they just seem to have this cup pedigree, which which keeps them keeps them moving forwards. Uh, so I'd expect them to be up there. Uh, Parmeiras, another Brazilian side are looking good. Grêmio are looking good. Um, Inter's Porto Alegre rivals. Um, it's very very open, and and I wouldn't be surprised to see to see a winner coming out of any of them. Um, Santos even um, are looking good as well. Um, very very hard to call, and I think the the latter stages are gonna gonna make for very good watching. And what what drew you to Racing? With Racing, it was, I guess you could say, serendipity. Um, I came to to Buenos Aires, you know, without the intention of of picking up a local club or or really getting into that that area, but just where I where I happened to live uh, when I first arrived, there was a bar on the corner, and I used to go down for my morning coffee and. Got chatting to to the waiter, and you know, I didn't speak that much Spanish when I first arrived. He didn't speak any English. Um, what are you going to talk about? Football, of course. So the conversation comes up. I have England, Argentina, Maradona, Rolling Stones. I know what, and <laughs> and he tells me, "Oh, yeah, look, I'm a Racing fan." Um, he says this moments before he lifts up his T-shirt to show me his. 10 or 12 uh, racing tattoos, you know, to, to confirm this, um, uh, this fact. I was like, oh, cool. And, and he started to invite me down to the games. I remember racing back, back then in 2009 were, were awful. They, they'd narrowly avoided relegation the previous years. And I went down the first game, I think, was uh, away to Argentinos. Uh, they lost 2 or 3-0. They were terrible, but their fans just didn't seem to care. They kept uh, singing, jumping, lighting off flares, um, making a big, making a big fuss. And you're like, "Wow, Jesus! I mean, what would they be like if the team could actually play football?" It's incredible. <laughs> uh, and from there, you know, uh, I caught the bug. This guy Luciano, who's still to this day one of my best friends, um, he. Gave me his uh, racing top, which he'd had for, for almost 10 years as a gift. Um, I started going with him on, on away trips too. I you know, got to know a lot of, of, of Argentina from, from away football trips, going to, um, you know, tw- uh, going on 20, 18 hour coach rides with other fans, you know, drinking, singing, banging on the side of the bus the entire way, just these insane trips, which if I had to do now, I'd most probably die. But at the time, you know, <laughs> in my early twenties, it was the best. You know, nothing could beat it. So from there, uh, you know, I uh, just couldn't help but fall in love with the club. And um, I became a father last year, and and my son's already a member. Uh, but nice. I've done about a few months after after he was born. So so hopefully, yeah, we can we can keep it in the family. And I can't wait. For all this to pass, for for us first to be allowed back in the stadium, and then you know one day be able to take him down and and let him experience everything I did in in the stadium in El Cilindro, it's just a dream of mine. 
class. Dan, obviously, um, we've uh, seen a lot of very decent talent come out of Argentina in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and there's there's no better man really to tell us if there's if there's any other hidden gems to, to come out of Argentina. Is there anyone you've seen either for racing a, a young player or throughout the league that, that you would uh, tell us to keep an eye on? There's a couple of guys. Obviously, it's difficult to judge right now because we had such a long recess um between march and, and i think the end of october was which was when most of the teams got going again um so i think for young players who might have just started coming out during this year it's probably been frustrating for them uh one guy who's definitely stepping up is julian alvarez um from river plate he's he's come in this year and and made a big impact especially in the libertadores where he scored a few goals to help him through through to the last 16. He looks really good, kind of a second striker, attacking midfielder uh, type player in Racing recently. Um, uh, we've seen him in the league because they've essentially given up on the league. Um, they've just started playing teams with seven or eight teenagers and and a few of them have a, look, a little bit interesting. A guy in midfield, Thiago Banega, um, a guy, a 17-year-old who scored at the weekend, Carlos Alvarez, um, a Uruguayan, we got a right back at who's 21, Fabricio Dominguez, um, all looking fairly interesting. Um, then in Vélez, you've got Thiago Almada, who's, who's just going from strength to strength. I think he's 18 or 19 now, and he's been singled out for a while as, as one to watch. And, and he's still, he's not letting up. I think this must be either his last or or penultimate year in in Argentine football before he goes to Europe because uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that he's got the talent. Um, so there is a few guys. Um, as I say, it's been very difficult with uh, with this whole uh, interruption for them to get time. Um, another guy, uh, Alan Velasco, Velasco for Independiente, who scored at the weekend too. Um, the talents there. Um, We'll see how they progress and and hopefully these are guys who will come to prominence once this hybrid tournament's finished and we get stuck into to proper league play again. But, but there's a few guys uh, to keep an eye on, yeah. Um, one of the... Uh, well, we've got a question about a player. You were talking about players coming through, but one of them that certainly left his mark on not just Boca Juniors, but obviously uh, Villarreal, so that will give it away who this is, and and teams in Europe, most notably Everton, which I was delighted at when he roasted them one night at Goodson Park, um, was Raquel May. And we have a um, one, of, one of our avid listeners, John Tiger. Thanks for the question, John. He has asked us to ask you, how has Raquel May seen in his home country and what is his legacy? He always seemed like his potential will be hard to properly fulfil. As a general point, maybe we are so European focused that we think players must spend most of their career here to reach their peak. Yeah, I can say as someone who's seen Raquel May probably, oh, probably half a dozen times, if not more, um, in a stadium up close, uh, he makes such an impact on you. Um, I think the first game I saw was either against, I think it was in the Bombonera against Vélez, where, um, where he was just running the show alongside Martin Palermo. And then I saw him a couple of weeks later when, when Racing uh, came to visit and... You see this guy, I mean, 
uh, at that point, this would be 2009, so he would be around 30, I think, 29. He'd had a few injuries, but you could see uh, he didn't move much. He kind of he skulked around the pitch rather than ran. If he could avoid physical exertion uh, at all, he would. Uh, <laughs> but there was so much talent there, so much awareness. I mean, he got the ball. And you knew something was going to happen. And, and if you happen to be in the way end, that usually spelt bad news. Your, your heart would sink because he's, he's a guy who just produced absolute magic from, uh, from his feet. And, you know, I've seen Raquelme, I've seen guys like Neymar live as well. I've seen Messi live. And, and probably if we're talking about people, just the impression they've left on me from being in the stadium... Uh, in Argentina, I don't think anyone can touch Raquelme because he was just in in another world. Um, to go for the second part of, the, of John's question, which I think is an excellent question, um, I think there is a, a part of that in which people might think that Raquelme, because he only showed his, his best playing fits and starts in Europe, um, it might kind of might downgrade what what he achieved in in some way. I mean, I would say that if Raquelme didn't reach his full potential in Europe, it's that possibly for him it it wasn't important. Um, you know, he tried his luck at, at Barcelona. He he had some, some decent performances in Barcelona, but ultimately didn't really fit in. And then, of course, he came back and he was so good with Villarreal. And the thing about Raquelme how he always comes across in interviews, in, in profiles people do. It's just someone who, who likes to be at home. He likes to be sitting on his front porch, drinking his mate around, you know, enjoying barbecues with his friends. And, and you get the feeling that for Riquelme, I mean, no matter how well he could do with uh, Villarreal, it was never going to compare to what he could achieve with Boca in his, you know, a club where, he, where he'd been since he was a teenager, which he loved. Um, it would just mean so much more for him to do it at Boca than, uh, than with Villarreal or with any other club in Europe. And I think that had a big part in, in him deciding to, to go back to Argentina. I think he came back in, in 2007 and immediately just played a virtuoso tournament to, to help Boca win the 2007 Libertadores, and and I, I can't imagine that he didn't have offers to go back to Europe after that, but but he was happy in in Argentina. He had the life he wanted. He was he was idolised uh, by Boca, by Argentina. In fact, it's often said that um, just purely for Boca fans, Riquelme is held in higher esteem. He's regarded as the bigger club legend, even even the Maradona, because. He did so much more for Boca than, than Maradona did. And, and I think that's right. Um, and it was that which motivated him. And, and I think the sacrifice he had to make was to miss out on spending his prime in Europe and, you know, the, the much better salaries, the, the higher exposure. And, uh, but I don't get the feeling he regrets it. He made the choice and, and he was happy to do so. Yeah, and the thing with what strikes me with Raquel May um, when he's talking about Baca, and it was, um, it was it's been brought up recently again because it's the anniversary of it was when they won the 
the Club World Cup uh, when they beat Real Madrid. And at the time, him and Martin Palermo were at like, well, I don't know if at this time, but they were at civil war with each other, but they were still able to produce performances that, that led Boca to such an, an unbelievable triumph because obviously, and you'll know this, Dan, South American teams take the, the World Club Cup maybe more important than well, maybe say some of the English teams. It, it meant a lot to me when, as a Liverpool fan. When we won it last year, I, I wanted to win it and I love that we won it, but I, I'm always struck by how, how massive it is to some of these South American teams and their fan base and the fact that he led them to that against uh, Real Madrid maybe that's probably part of the reason that leads into the legend too he was a wonderful player Raquel May, so I'm, I'm very jealous I think we all are that you've got to see him uh, live um, we we have w- one more question Dan to finish off if that's okay and it, it is actually yep. about about the great man Diego Maradona what is uh, the best story you ever heard about Diego Maradona? Which one to pick? Which one to pick? First one comes into your head, just go with it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a fantastic one um, I wrote recently um, for Gold, um, the website I contribute to. It was from from Mauricio Pochettino, kind of looking back, um, you know, before he moved to Espanol, before he became so well-known for the national team and in Europe. Uh, he was coming through the ranks in 1992, 1993 um, as a news player, just kind of making a, making a name for himself in, in the first team. And as luck would have it, he was, he was drawn to a room with uh, Maradona, who was at news at this time in, um, in 1993, just after um, he'd left Sevilla. Uh, so Pochettino was obviously overwhelmed by this, um, uh, you know, what an honour, uh, rooming with the guy who won the World Cup and, and all this, he was, he was delighted and so I think they, they were out in, I can't remember where Buenos Aires perhaps, or um, on the road for an away game and Maradona some, um, suddenly says to Pochettino, the two guys, you know, just sitting on their beds reading or watching TV, whatever. Um, look, mate, um, I've just got to step out for a second. Um, I'll be back in a minute. Um, Pochettino says, yeah, sure, all right. Carries on, don't give it a second thought. The hours start going by. Diego doesn't return. Uh, Pochettino, ah, he must have gone out or something. Eventually goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning. Um, Maradona's still not there. Um, he go and he goes down to breakfast, um, and everyone's crowded around the the hotel's TV set. And it's like, what the hell's going on here? He he looks and this live coverage of of Maradona's um, kind of ranch in the outskirts of Buenos Aires, where he drove to in the night uh, with, and he's there, kind of entrenched in his in his ranch, shooting at journalists with an air rifle. Um, uh, Pochettino thought that he'd just gone to, for a walk or gone for a drink. He'd somehow managed to drive all the way to his ranch. The journalist found out and he was hanging out the windows firing shots at him. That, that is, uh, ah, that's brilliant. I love tales like that. Like, you know, I love mad footballers. I think, I think there needs to be more of them. I think, I think we need more footballers doing really. Not like vicious things, really just silly things, you know what I mean? Just like 
doing mad stuff like that, having a character instead of being robots, which is sometimes labelled, as we say at the start of this podcast, at, at more modern day footballers. But um, he was such a lunatic, and and he'd be so, he'd be so he will be so sorely missed. Brilliantly this week for goal, and um, and I'm sure we'll continue to Dan. Um, listen, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, for coming on and chatting to us. Hopefully this won't be your only slot with the with sports battle. We will try and rope you back in again if, if, you'll, if you'll come on for us. Um, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. An absolute pleasure um, <laughs> to come on and anytime, anytime. We can get you on goal.com and also the Hand of Pod podcast, which yep. anyone that's interested in Argentinian football, uh, I would highly, highly recommend you catching because uh, the lads know everything. So it's a really good source and, and it's brilliant. Um, let's chat to you again soon, Dan. Enjoy your holiday, the rest of your break, and also uh, enjoy the Copa Libertadores this week. And I hope Racing win. Um, it's always nice. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. It's and, not going to be um, easy, but maybe we can maybe we can squeak it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and folks, I hope you enjoy this podcast, and we'll catch us again next week. Good luck.